Hey folks, welcome into the Student Section Podcast where we talk all things college sports. Uh, just a quick reminder before we get going, our new Instagram handle is at studentsectionpod. And remember, you can find us on our website at thestudentsection.net. Once again, Instagram at thestudentsectionpod and our website is thestudentsection.net. Folks, always remember to subscribe to the show. We are now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and all your favorite platforms. You can find the link to all those in our Instagram bio, once again, at Student Section Pod. We've got a jam-packed episode today. Going to talk a bit about the college football offseason. Going to touch on a bit of college basketball. So as always, folks, enjoy the show, and thanks for taking the time today. Enjoy. Folks, welcome back. It's good to have you here on another edition of the Student Section Podcast, where we talk all things college sports. Happy Friday. This is episode 13. It is Friday, January 27th, 2023. Always remember, we drop new episodes every single Friday. So, with all that being said, we are now three weeks removed from the College Football Playoff National Championship Haven't had a lot of college football in a couple weeks, but what we have had are a lot of interesting, controversial storylines emerging over the course of the offseason that I want to get to today. College football is one of those weird sports where a majority of the action in the offseason kind of happens right away as soon as the season ends, as opposed to the NFL and the NBA where, you know, they take a couple months before free agency and the draft and all that gets underway. But we've had a lot of drama in the world of college football, in the world of the offseason thus far. And I really want to talk about this episode, the winners, losers, teams I think that have benefited, teams I think that have maybe suffered from that drama and from everything that's unfolding, how the sport's evolving right now. I think it's going to be really fun to look into that. So, We're going to touch on that first. We're also going to talk a little bit about college basketball because there is just so much parity right now. There's so many teams I want to talk about, and really, I don't know who I'm going to fill in as my champion in my March Madness bracket when that comes around because there are so many good teams to choose from. There isn't that definitive favorite like we have every single year, so I'm really excited to talk about some of those teams. So don't want to waste that much more of your time. Without further ado, Let's jump in to our college football offseason winners and losers. All right, so I want to make a quick note before I start talking about these teams. The transfer portal and high school recruiting as a whole are so big. There are so many prospects, so many potential stars out there that... There is a 100% chance that in this episode, I am missing some big teams that have had success or haven't had as much success that I'm not going to include in this rundown because I really only have four teams that I think are winning and four teams that I think are losing. It was very hard to narrow it down. But trust me, if your team is not mentioned and you think they've had a great offseason, I am not saying that they haven't. It's just I got a 20-something minute podcast here. I got to squeeze in 
um, as many teams as I can and as much information as I can. And I don't think any less of a team if I don't include them here. So anyways, we've got about four teams that we're going to talk about on the winner's side. The first of which I'm going to talk about Michigan because I was kind of debating whether to put them in the winners or losers category because their offseason has been a complete and total roller coaster. I think we should first start with the Jim Harbaugh saga and everything going on with the coaching staff because for a while there, nobody really knew what to expect. Um, Obviously, for the second straight year, we had Jim Harbaugh testing the NFL waters. I think he was a lot more serious about it last year because he did have those in-person interviews with the Vikings and I believe it was the Raiders. This year, he went on a Zoom interview with the Denver Broncos, and this really hurt their recruiting, their transfer acquisitions, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But last year, this killed them. I mean, their recruiting class was not even in the top 20 last year. Their transfer class suffered because of it. They lost out on a lot of guys that they were in the running to get. A lot of guys that had Michigan in their top three, top five, just opted not to go there because of the Jim Harbaugh situation. But this year, I didn't really ever uh, ever think there was a chance that he was going to leave. I mean, a Zoom interview of all things really isn't that convincing or that worrisome of an event where if I'm a Michigan fan, I'm seriously worried about him leaving the program. I mean, if I think his plan here was to kind of get the school to make an investment in the football program, obviously, back-to-back Big Ten champions. He wanted his money. He wanted his assistants to get paid money. He wanted the school to kind of evolve with the sport, kind of grow, invest into it, as we said. And I think that this NFL situation was kind of his leverage in doing so. And I mean, it worked out tremendously because obviously the school established that one more year NIL fund to get guys like Blake Corum to stay, which again, we'll talk about shortly. So in the end, obviously Jim announces he's returning as the head coach of the Wolverines. And I never thought his um, departure was a serious, serious threat to Michigan. So He's back next year, but elsewhere on the coaching staff, there are people that will not be back. Um, Offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach Matt Weiss arrested or under investigation of some kind for a crime I have never heard of. I tried looking it up. Computer access crimes. If someone knows what that is, uh, let us know on Instagram because I was kind of clueless. But he's gone. But again, I don't think this is a big deal if you're a Michigan fan because you had co-offensive coordinators last year and Sharon Moore, the other co-coordinator, will slide right into the role very nicely. I don't think they're sounding the alarms over that at Michigan. So Sharon Moore, probably going to call the plays next year unless something drastic happens. But now let's move away from the coaching staff into player acquisition and I want to talk first about high school recruiting because Michigan didn't exactly do a lot of damage here, and that's largely because Jim Harbaugh was flirting with the NFL and talking about potentially heading somewhere else. I really think they lost out on a lot of key recruits because of that, but with that being said, they've got some ballers coming in, starting with the running back, Cole Cabana. I think he's the only guy in this class who I really think could make an instant impact and be a day one starter only because the way this offense runs and Sharon Moore likes to call this offense they rotate so many backs I mean 
even though Blake Corum got the bulk of the carries last year, you really saw guys like Donovan Edwards shine, and later in the season they got a couple more guys, more carries, although it didn't work out to their favor in the playoff game. Michigan knows how to share the ball, spread the love, and I think that Cole Cabana could make an impact. But other than him, I mean, you look at this recruiting class, they are ranked 17th national and third in the Big Ten behind Penn State and Ohio State. And Jim Harbaugh would be the first one to tell you that that's not where they want to be. And like I said, that's mainly because guys are kind of 50-50 on going to Michigan because of the drama, because of all the speculation surrounding Harbaugh. But where they have failed in the recruiting department, or I shouldn't say failed, maybe come shorter than they would have liked to subverted expectations, where they have subverted those expectations, they have come up big in the transfer portal. They've got the eighth best transfer class in college football and the best in the Big Ten. They've got some dogs coming in that are going to make some immediate impact and look no further than the two offensive linemen they acquired, Ladarius Henderson and Miles Hinton. Uh, Hinton, the younger brother of former Michigan great Chris Hinton, a six foot six, three hundred and ten pound lineman, he'll fit in nicely, especially with the loss of guys like Olu Oluwatimi. Um, you've got Ladarius Henderson, the or yeah, Ladarius Henderson, sorry, the four star tackle from Arizona State. Three years of eligibility left for him. He's going to be there for a while. Elsewhere on defense now, you've got Ernest Hausman, the former top 100 linebacker who played a year at Nebraska. He's coming over with three years of eligibility left. And then perhaps their biggest acquisition was Josiah Stewart, the four-star edge from Coastal Carolina. He'll be there. He'll be a starter. They lost a lot on that defensive line, most notably uh, Taylor Upshaw, most notably... Uh, Mozzie Smith and Mike Morris, two of their biggest forces on the defensive line. So they're going to need some help rushing the passer this year. And Josiah Stewart will be a day one starter. He'll help out nicely with that. But where they have also succeeded, and like I said, we were going to come back to this, their one more year NIL fund has paid them dividends. They've got Blake Corum coming back for another year. A bunch of their starting offensive line that has now won back-to-back best offensive line Joe Moore awards. A bunch of that unit is coming back this year. Michigan is not straying away from their ground-and-pound identity anytime soon, and that's because they've got all these guys coming back for one more year. So that's what I've got on the Wolverines. Very up-and-down, albeit very successful offseason thus far, and now I want to talk about one of the more up-and-coming programs in college football, and that's Colorado. Coach Prime is really shifting the culture at Colorado. I mean, you see all these videos coming out of him addressing the team, saying you're going to dress like this, you're going to treat your professors like this, you're going to treat women like this, you're going to act like this. It reminds me almost of Coach Carter, Um, very great movie if you've never watched it with Samuel L. Jackson. He is building something unusual at Colorado. He's I never took him as an old school kind of guy, but that's what he's doing. And what he's doing with the culture, he is equally as successful in the recruiting arena. I mean, arguably, or easily, I should say, the best high school recruiting class Colorado has had in a very long time. They're up to top 30 nationally, fifth in the Pac-12. They got 19 commits, their first five-star since recruiting rankings began. That's Cormani McLean, who we'll talk about in a minute. They've got three four-stars and 15 three-stars. Easily the best cycle of players that they've had in a very long time. Obviously, Cormani McLean, 
the five-star cornerback committed to Miami. He's a Florida kid from Lakeland, and everyone thought he was going to the Hurricanes. But the second, the greatest corner of all time, signs on to coach at Colorado, everyone kind of knew that this move was coming. I mean, you look at him and you look at Travis Hunter, uh, Coach Prime has now gotten the top cornerback in the class to commit to him in two straight years. That's obviously going to be the cornerstone of this team, their secondary. And they're going to need it in this Pac-12 conference because there are some really talented uh, quarterbacks and really proficient passing attacks in this conference. You've got Michael Penix coming back for another year, Bo Nix at Oregon, Cam Rising at Utah, um, Oregon State's got DJ Uyunglele coming in to play quarterback there. So they're going to need this secondary to be on point this year. And Cormani McLean and Travis Hunter, I anticipate that they're day one starters. So they've also got the four-star running back, Dylan Edwards, who was probably one of their most notable signings because they were able to steal him from Marcus Freeman in Notre Dame. I mean, very rarely do you see a 1-11 team flipping recruits from a national powerhouse such as Notre Dame, but that's exactly what Colorado is doing. It's very impressive. So... That's about it for high school recruiting for them. Next, I wanted to move on to the transfer portal because that is where they have really, really succeeded. Their transfer class is ranked third in the country, fifth in the or first in the Pac-12, and their 23 transfer commits is the most in the country by a very, very, very wide margin. It might even be the most ever. I mean, they've got 23 commits. The next closest team, SMU, has 17. And then the next closest team after that has just 14. So Colorado is getting these transfer recruits. They're getting this talent in droves. They're getting it in volume. And that's great to see because Dion is trying to get his full cycles of players in there at Colorado. And they might be able to do that in just a year or two, which is shockingly fast. I mean, very rarely do, do you see a coach come in and get 50 new players brought into his program just like that? I don't know if that's ever been done before. But one thing I wanted to point out, too, with Colorado is they can succeed very fast in this Pac-12 country or conference, rather, sorry, based on what the future of the conference looks like. I mean, USC and UCLA are both leaving. Obviously, you've got the playoff expanding to 12 teams. And all you need to do to get in starting next year is win your conference. And you've got an automatic trip to the college football playoff. So you could see this Colorado team breaking into the playoff, winning the conference sooner rather than later. I would anticipate in the next two to three, maybe four years, you're going to see Colorado at the forefront of the Pac-12. Let's move on to our next team. And that's going to be the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. I want to take everyone back. Remember about, I want to say, 20 weeks ago now, Notre Dame was 0-2. They had just lost to Marshall. They were on the kind of on the fence about Marcus Freeman. Some fans were sounding the alarm. Some fans were saying he doesn't have the experience. You know, he doesn't have the pedigree needed to lead this team. And he proved everyone wrong in a very big way. I mean, he led this team to a 9-4 season after an 0-2 start. That included a bull win over South Carolina. This team has turned it around, and they've done it fast. And you look at their recruiting, they're going to get even better next year. Ninth overall class in the country. They've got 20 commits, or 24 commits. 20 of those four stars, two of the guys I wanted to highlight, were Drake Bowen, the big physical linebacker, in-state kid from Indiana, and Christian Gray, the cover corner 
from Missouri. Those are two guys that I expect could make an instant impact. This is a young Notre Dame team, lots of underclassmen, and that's why we had them so high in our way too early top 10 last week. Go listen to that podcast if you haven't. A lot of good analysis there. And their transfer portal class as a whole isn't that incredible, but they've got one guy that's going to turn it around for them, and that is Sam Hartman, the quarterback from Wake Forest. He's got a year of eligibility left, and he solves a problem that Notre Dame has been having since really the 90s and their years of dominance in the 80s and 90s. They've had the roster, but they haven't had the elite quarterback to lead the way in recent history and I think that's why they've fallen short in the playoff in the BCS in those big games and Sam Hartman could be that guy that turns it around for them and is able to win them that big game I think he could be the missing piece like I said all these years they've been missing that electric quarterback that can and that's really the position you need to win when you look at all the teams winning right now that's the piece you need Sam Hartman could be that guy He solves an age-old problem for Notre Dame, and I really like what he's going to do for that team. Other notable transfers I like, uh, Caleb Smith, the wide receiver from Virginia Tech, should slot in pretty quick. And then Javante Jean-Baptiste, the linebacker from Ohio State, big physical kid. He'll get triple-digit tackles in my estimation sometime in his career at Notre Dame. Young kid, I really like his potential. So moving on now to my last team in the winner's category, that's Florida State, and that's because of what they've done with the transfer portal. Mike Norvell has turned the team around after his first couple years of kind of mediocrity, and he did it through the transfer portal. I mean, they've leaned on transfers in the past, especially last year. You saw Jared Verse, their sack leader. He's a transfer in from Albany. Uh, Johnny Wilson, one of their top receivers, he transferred uh, transferred in from Arizona State. And then Trey Benson, the running back, was brought in from Oregon for them. So with Jordan Travis coming back, they've got all the talent around him to really compete for that ACC title, especially with Clemson on the decline, who we're going to talk about shortly. This is Florida State's time. They've got the second best transfer class in college football. Nine commits, seven of them are four stars. Fentrell Cypress, the cornerback from Virginia, Jaheim Bell, the big tight end from South Carolina, and Braden Fisk, the Western Michigan defensive lineman pass rusher. I really like the transfer class that they've got coming in, and as I said last week, I love the existing roster that they have coming in. So this talent getting added on top of all those guys they're bringing back, 14 starters, Florida State's going to be a contender next year. And upon researching their transfer class, I would move them up a spot or two in my way too early top 10 from last week. Once again, if you want to hear my take on the current roster they have, definitely go listen to that podcast. But anyways, that's all I've got on the current winners of the offseason. Now we're going to talk a bit about the losers in teams I think are not doing as well in the offseason. Let's do it. The first team that I'm going to talk about, I think this was a pretty obvious one, but it's going to be Clemson. Um, solely because of the way they've kind of gone about their offseason, and that's that they haven't done anything. You know, um, we live in this kind of adapt or die era of college football where the sport is changing so rapidly before our eyes. Obviously, we've had the introduction of NIL 
We've had the transfer portal become a lot more prominent in recent years, and Dabo Sweeney and Clemson have stayed away from that and have vehemently said that they will continue to stay away from that. They have been very assertive in their, I don't know what to call it, kind of staying aloof from the transfer portal and NIL, and again, I'm an old-fashioned guy. I like doing things the old-fashioned way, but... The three words I said earlier, adapt or die. We are in this arms race and we are in this era where in order to be a successful team over the course of the next five to ten years, you're gonna start need to or you're gonna need to start using these forms of upgrading your team and upgrading your roster because high school recruiting by itself just isn't enough anymore. You've got teams bringing in five star talent through the transfer portal, through NIL, And while I don't agree with NIL, which we'll get to in the next team we talk about, it's a big deal. And Clemson is falling behind quicker than they realize. And again, I know guys were sitting out, but I think the Orange Bowl was a pretty good example of that. So Clemson really needs to modernize, get it together and upgrade and start using these forms of upgrading their team that have been offered to them and presented to them if they want to be successful in the future. Moving on now, and the next team we're going to talk about is Florida, and that's because the story involving Jaden Rashada, the four-star quarterback recruit, really demonstrates to me everything wrong with NIL and how it can be used in a way that is extremely detrimental to the sport. So if you haven't heard, this quarterback, uh, Jaden Rashada, was offered $14 million to come play for the Florida Gators in an an NIL deal. You know, basically bribing him, but again, technically not because it's an NIL deal, but you get where I'm coming from. And what happens with this kid is he gets locked into his national letter of intent where he signs there, And then they they back out of this deal. They say, we can't give you all this money. So what does he do? Naturally, he requests a release from his letter of intent saying, I want to go somewhere else. You lied to me. And so he was released and now he's reopened his recruitment. But I mean, this is open bribery. Like, I get that these kids should be able to make money and these kids should be able to profit off their name, image, and likeness, but the way it's being used and the fact that, again, plenty of teams are doing what Florida's doing right now. I'm not just going to single out Florida. Florida's just the only team where it's gone pretty much public and people know that it's happened in a way that's detrimental to the sport. I mean, what are we doing? $14 million to come play college football? Just essentially bribing him to come play for your program? And that kind of leads me into my third team that I think is losing in the offseason, and that's Texas A&M. What you've seen through Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M, and obviously that video's leaked, uh, you can find it on the internet, where them saying they're going to get, uh, the recruits are going to get paid by the boosters to come play for Texas A&M. What you're seeing now is kids taking advantage of this. They come to these schools that offer them all these millions of dollars, and then they transfer after they've collected their check. And that is why... Texas A&M has 25 players in the transfer portal right now. They have lost 25 players to the transfer portal alone. Because basically what these kids are doing, they're coming to play for a program that they have no intention of playing for, playing a year, collecting their money, and leaving. And we're looking at this, and we don't see a problem with this? 
but we're gonna we're gonna give Jim Harbaugh a level one violation for buying a kid a hamburger. What are we doing? This part of the sport and this this thing that has been introduced, this monstrosity, has broken college football. And like I said, I'm not against NIL. I'm not against kids making money. But this has to be regulated so schools cannot blatantly bribe 18-year-old kids to come to school there. This There needs to be some sort of regulation in place to stop this. Anyways, that's all I've got on the um, college football side of things. I said I wanted to talk college basketball, but that tangent kind of took us up to our time limit. So we're going to talk about college basketball briefly. And the main point I wanted to get across, we talked about this on Instagram this week, once again, at the student section pod. Um, We talked about the level of parity that is in college basketball this year. Now, I don't know who I'm going to pick to win my March Madness bracket. I mean, in years past, you've had Gonzaga run the table for most of the regular season and hold that number one spot. Baylor's done it the same in, in years past. Duke, Kentucky, all those teams. But this year, things are just wide open. I mean, right now, Purdue is the number one team, but it feels like we've had a different number one team almost every week. And it's kind of been this rotating cycle. Houston, Alabama, uh, UConn, Purdue. Now you've got teams like UCLA. Texas was up there for a bit too. You know, I don't know who is the dominant team in the sport. I've done a lot of research in all these teams. And I think the team I'm currently favoring right now is Tennessee because of really the, the style they play, the style that Rick Barnes plays. Defense and perimeter shooting, their adjusted defensive efficiency is best in the nation per Ken Palm. They're shooting threes at a 36% clip. That's all right, but once again, they got hot towards the end of the season last year. Guys like Vescovy really uh, really started heating up from beyond the arc. They also assist on 67% of their made field goals, which is top four in the country. So I think this is a team, you know, they don't have a definitive star. I I wouldn't really consider Vescovy that. They don't have a guy that's going to carry them, but what they do have is a system that works They shoot well from beyond the arc. They rebound well. They defend well. They're kind of the team I'm favoring right now. Elsewhere in the SEC, we've got Alabama, who I really like. And again, same reason. They play ridiculous defense. Uh, Their opponents are shooting 26% on uh, three-pointers, 41% on two-pointers. Both of those marks are top five in the country. They block shots at a a ridiculously high rate, 12% block percentage on defensive possessions. 8% steal percentage on defensive possessions as well. They play lockdown defense. I like Nate Oates as a coach. And speaking of defense, you got to talk about Houston. Houston's a team that has really confused me because we don't know, or for a majority of the season, we didn't know what the deal was with Marcus Sasser, then Jarris Walker, and Emmanuel Sharp, who I really like, kind of stepped up in his place. Two phenomenal freshmen. Um, They have the defense to get them anywhere, but they're shooting. They just have too many games where they go completely cold. Houston is one of those teams, man, where they'll shoot 60%. They'll shoot the lights out one night, and then the next night they'll go completely dark, and they'll have to rely on that defense and holding a team to, you know, 40 points a game to win. Um, Purdue is another team that I'm, I'm really, really 50-50 on. Obviously, they rebound at a ridiculously high clip with Zach Eady down there. He's easily 
my national player of the year right now, and I don't even think it's close. He's really running away with it when you look at his numbers. One of the best offensive and defensive rebounders in the country. His offensive efficiency numbers are out of this world. He's only playing limited minutes, too. And, you know, Purdue is a team that, because of that, um, has the luxury of playing at a very slow pace. Their tempo is dead last in the Big Ten, and their average possession takes over 20 seconds. They're the only team in the Big Ten that can say that. So they're a team that I look out for. But again, I don't know if I've seen enough from them. They're shooting outside of Edie has me a bit concerned at times. I mean, guys like Fletcher Lawyer are serviceable out there, but not the best. Um, Looking elsewhere, I like the mid-majors. I'm always going to give love to my mid-major schools, and St. Mary's is one of those teams, and I consider New Mexico a mid-major as well. I know people say the Mountain West is not, but, you know, I fit New Mexico into that category with all those teams. Um, St. Mary's and Charleston, I kind of group into the same category because they're two teams that pride themselves on rebounding and forcing turnovers. They share the ball. They play sound defense. Their uh, um, adjusted defensive efficiency numbers are out of this world. I kind of group them together because, like I said, I'm always rooting for my mid-major teams. I go to a mid-major school. I love rooting for the small guy to beat up on the big guys. But outside of that, I mean... There's still 10 teams I haven't mentioned that I could see making a serious, serious run at the title this season. So, I mean, you've got schools like Baylor, TCU, Rutgers. I mean, don't count out Gonzaga either. Auburn, Indiana. There's so many schools where, I mean, I'm not sold on them, but there's also characteristics where I look at them and I'm like, this team could make a big run. This team can catch fire at the right time, win their conference, and start blowing through the tournament. So I can't wait for March this year. I can't wait for conference tournament time, especially in conferences like the Big 12 and the Big 10, because those two conferences have so, so many good teams. They're top to bottom stacked. Same thing with the SEC, although it's a bit more top heavy. I can't wait till the end of the season. I'm going to enjoy the heck out of it. But that's all the time we have this week, folks. Um, We got to talk a bit of college football, a bit of college basketball, Best of both worlds in this episode. Always remember, we drop new episodes every single Friday. You can find us on Instagram at student section pod or online at thestudentsection.net. Subscribe to the show, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all your favorite platforms, YouTube too. We're on them. Share it with your friends. Rate the show. Give us a little five-star rating or whatever you like. Um, always remember to download the show. Helps us out a great deal. And we will see you next week, folks. Whether you're on the couch or in the bleachers this week, enjoy the games, and we will see you next week. Take care now.